Welcome to the Do Us A Favour podcast, the podcast which brings together ideas, tips and tricks to encourage a bit of self-care. Alongside gender-related conversations and discussions on the current happenings from around the world. I'm Tanisha. And I'm Katie. And welcome, and welcome to, the to the podcast. Hi. Hello. So we're back. Guess who's back? <laughs> back again <laughs> back episode with episode three, three. Woo. yeah how are you i'm okay this week's been really really busy but all, mm. all good in the hood how are you birthday girl from yesterday yeah it was my birthday yesterday so that was cute um it actually feels like a lifetime ago and it was only yesterday <laughs> have a locked- what, what are lockdown birthdays like no idea what they so look like. do you know what it was actually really lovely um james made a super huge effort i'm not big on birthdays i find it all a bit embarrassing but he went all out mm. um and got me too many presents and spoke to loads of people and got lots of lovely messages and all of this um and then uh, a few of my best friends um we basically organized drinks so it's a bit of a weird one because you can't, obviously can't really go anywhere. But mm. my friends, well, two of my friends, Anna and Nick, have recently bought a lovely apartment that's got a beautiful terrace. It's absolutely amazing. So we all had drinks, well, a few of us had drinks on, ter- on the terrace. How did you get on with your assigned tasks from our last episode where we looked at what separation between the home and work and general working and living in the same space at the moment? How did that go? So it went well. I was impressed, actually. So I said that I would, um, so I was saying from the last episode that my office space, I say office space, as in like my little desk and my chair is in my lounge, uh, which is in my kitchen. It's all one big space. So I really have difficulty breaking away physically from like the Mm. desk to the lounge to everything else. So what I did was every day this week, I've put my laptop and my like writing pad, my mouse, every single thing that's on my desk, I've put on my chair, I've tucked my chair under there's nice. nothing nothing on the desk at all and yeah it just looks like a normal room and it's quite nice because then I can like sit and watch telly or I can go into the bedroom or whatever and it just looks very clean and I separation separation done well so yeah it was it was it's been a good week what about you how, how well did yours done go? terribly so apparently I, I mean mine was you know to work normal hours and use which was a really good recommendation of yours to use your commuting what would be your commuting time for something else and I can't say I've done that (laughs) so I really need to give it a go because actually like reminding myself of how badly I've failed trying to do that is quite problematic Mm. but you know what I I need to get my working hours back exactly it's the working hours that's so hard because it's kind of like we it's out of our hands yeah yeah so we can try but it is hard. I think I might try that this week, actually. I might try and do that with you and see if I can stop. Okay. This week's episode is going to be a bit different to episodes before it. Um, we've been contacted by two of our wonderful listeners um, about a really exciting book that we're going to review uh, this week. Uh, we've got Holly, who is a friend of my dear friend Katie. Um, and we've got Martha. <laughs> we've got Martha, who's um, our colleague as well. 
Um, we asked them to record little snippets uh, for the episode, um, just detailing a bit about this book, uh, why they liked it, what they thought was interesting. Um, so we're going to hear them give a bit of an intro in a minute. Um, and what we're going to do after that is um, introduce a couple of our friends who uh, has also read kind of snippets of the book. And we're just going to have a general conversation back and forth about why it's it's content, why it's important and things like that. Um, but before we start, we just have to apologise. Um, we had some poor tech quality issues um, <laughs> in in moments throughout our recording this week. So uh, there are a couple of glitches, uh, but we're 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 going to try and push through. Um, it's Mercury Mercury is in retrograde, so let's just put that out there right now. Yeah, get that. <laughs> so yeah, let's let's just listen to Invisible Women and why this is a great book. My name is Holly and I'm a campaign manager for a top 20 UK law firm. The book I am recommending is called Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. This book was first recommended to me by my mother. She sent me a copy and it sat on my bookshelf for quite some time. And then a male colleague in my workbook club also recommended it to me, saying he had found it enlightening and made him actually quite angry. I thought any novel that can elicit that kind of reaction is probably worth investing some time in, and I'm so glad I did. The premise of this book is an all-consuming one. It highlights through the power of data, and actually more acutely, the lack of data. How pretty much every aspect of our lives has been created with a male bias slant, and how little data there is showing how situations affect 50% of the population. The book goes beyond how language we clearly use has a male bias how ingrained it is when describing jobs and how school children overwhelmingly use male pronouns for jobs that would typically be within a higher wage bracket. The book asks the question, in a world largely built for men, where are the data gaps? How are decisions more likely to impact women in a negative way? It is incredibly well researched and has a great range of case studies and stories. One of the more poignant pieces for me was around medicine and drugs. Women are severely underrepresented throughout medical research and development, and this continues today. One example given is in the book is that women represent 55% of HIV positive adults in the developing world, and women experience different clinical symptoms and complications due to HIV. And yet, a 2016 review of the inclusion of women in US HIV research found that women made up only 19.2% of participants in antiretroviral studies, 38.1% in vaccination studies, and 11.1% in studies to find a cure. The book also highlights points around the lack of data available around women from previous pandemics, namely the SARS outbreak, and unfortunately, as highlighted in last week's podcast, this is only set to continue in 2020. I would implore anyone to read this book and hopefully it will inspire more people to question in their lives and work organisations. Does this decision affect men and women equally? Hi, I'm Martha. I read Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Caroline Criado Perez. This book is amazing. I highly recommend it. Um, definitely read it. I had to read it in small chunks because it made me so angry. Um, but honestly, there's some good news in there as well. So its basic premise is that wherever we're collecting data, 
um, for various different things. She has sections on everything from town planning, medicines, including uh, things like PPE and protective equipment and uh, safety data, as well as disaster relief. Um, and I think I mentioned town planning as well. Um, we're basically collecting data based on um, the default mail. So whether that's default male bodies and how they work or the default, ma default male size of you know, everything from hands to muscle distribution for protective equipment and in accidents. And when we do that, what happens is women come out worse, whether it's um, surviving car accidents, or taking medicines, consulting doctors, or even their experience of public transport. So I highly recommend it anyway. Um, hope you enjoy it. So Tanisha and I both chose one of our male friends to come and discuss the book with us. And I selected one of my best friends, Ryan. Um, Ryan and I have been friends. Ryan, how long have we been friends? Uh, since like, about 13. Since about 13. And we argue and debate about everything. And yeah. somehow we're still best friends, but we don't agree politically on very much. So, Ryan, do you just want to introduce yourself a little bit just about who you are, where you're from, what you do, just a little blurb. Yeah, so I'm Ryan from West Midlands, uh, known Katie since I was 13. Um, I work in construction, so I employ uh, seven young lads, um, various ages. Uh, yeah, I found the book quite interesting as well, so I'd like to give my viewpoints. Thanks, Ryan. I hope we don't fall out. <laughs> <laughs> And then Tanisha, who have you brought along? Um, I've brought Dan, who I work with, and we work in the same team um, in our company. And Dan and I sit quite near each other in the office, and we are always kind of talking to each other about gender issues and other things, other political happenings. Uh, Dan's got a great sense of humour. And yeah, introduce yourself, Dan. Who are you? Hello, everyone. I am um, Daniel Wolf. I'm from London. And as um, Tanisha said, so we work in the same team at the same company. And um, basically, we've known each other for a few years. And as Tanisha says, uh, we often chat and uh, um, banter about things and also have quite deep and meaningful chats around um, policy areas. And that's why I'm really pleased that she asked me to come on this podcast. So I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you. Love it. Yay. I just, I just, I just thinking. I wonder if because um, we've got Ryan on the phone, and obviously we're originally from basically Birmingham. I wonder if my accent will go during this. <laughs> it hasn't. <laughs> it didn't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not listening to myself back. I'm telling you that much. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> Me neither. So Me neither. Yeah. By the way, I've got no intention of of uh, no. listening to myself back. I just hate it. So Holly and Martha actually, they described it really well. The book is is a fantastic book that really was an eye opener for me. You know, the amount, just the amount of data and analysis that had been done and put forward was striking, and it it made the case so clearly, even from the the outset, that actually, in order to kind of repel the the situation that we're in right now, which is so, you know, everything we do, everything in our lives from how we drive to the medical attention that we are given and the, the, the attention we receive is based on data from men uh, where men are seen as the default uh, where as the default human and anything else is seen as other and therefore women are part of that kind of other bracket and that whole bias towards male default runs throughout lots of different examples that you might not even have thought of. I certainly hadn't. So, for example, there's a there's a there's a example in the beginning around um, when you Google or search for 
a national football team, for example, if you're looking for the male, uh, the male, sorry, the female version of that football team, you actually have to specify the women's X country's football team. If you just type in the country's football team, you'll get male. Um, and obviously there's, there's, a, there's a lot there around kind of popularity and what's most Googled, gets, gets searched the most and comes up the most. But the fact that you have to kind of differentiate between ma- uh, male and female to get the female version alone tells you that something's wrong. I mean, so from my point of view, I'd be happy to um, come in first. I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I do believe that if you chart through the history of different cultures and societies and peoples the role of the man has been elevated right from the outset of when people first began to form he was a hunter gatherer his role was key in trying to ensure that you know his uh people in his close um social circle live um and therefore i think that there's been a natural inclination to elevate the role of the man because obviously in order to stay alive that role of being able to hunt brawn was seen as being entirely key and i also believe that you know out of that now again i'm not a um a um a scientist but it's but from my point of i do believe that this this kind of inbuilt bias that is that has existed towards men and i would actually say that continues to um, that continues to um, exist. Kind of comes from a natural inclination that men have to want to control the other, and I also think that 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 kind of ties into unconscious bias as well. So, our case um, from an equality rights campaigner, and she asked us on a um, webinar to close our eyes. And then she was going to name us a word and she wanted us to really be honest and clear about what we associated that word with. And she just said, pilot. So just that one word, pilot. And then after that, um, after we opened her eyes, she asked us how many of you pictured a, a, um, a uh, woman and none of us had. Mm. So yeah. I think when you come, I, so I think that those, that those type of inbuilt perceptional biases that people have that come as the environment that they were raised i think all of those are built into the reality that we've created um mm. between men and women so i really don't think that there's a lot to take issue with i agree i agree with, i agree with dan as well that i think like you said that i know going I, th- I think a lot of the issues that we're going to talk about later i know with the two chapters that i've listened to were about um <coughs> I think a lot of it comes back to primal instincts and tradition. Um, and like Dan said that, yeah, you know, I think men, we, as men, we have a, a natural instinct to feel protective and, you know, that we have to go and provide. Now that's obviously built into us from, it's taught to us. It's, but I also think there is a, a natural instinct that we need to provide for women and not women are weaker or inferior, but it's just that we have to provide for the family. And that's, you know, and I think it is stems back from that. But I think that's interesting if you look at the science point, because that goes into some of the, the medical points. I know, Rai, you've listened um, to some of the audio book on this, but yeah. I think what was interesting is they mentioned that, where was it? So out of um, 16,329 images of bodies in kind of medical textbooks, um, they're three times uh, more likely to use male bodies than a female body. 
uh, when they're illustrating a gender neutral body. Mm-hmm. Um, and the issue with that is if your textbooks are always looking at the male, that then goes into the science behind when we're looking at trying to like solve diseases and we're looking at medicines and that is like the beginning of that problem. So then it goes more into the fact that uh, when we're looking at the gender impact of sex, we actually have now found it goes down to a cellular level. But when we're looking at kind of tests for medicine, we just tend to use male animals or male um, volunteers to like test these things. And that's where the problems come. But it starts even at the education point when even in the textbooks that we're teaching our doctors and nurses, it's men. Yeah, I found that quite interesting on the about the medical part as well that was that about I think there was a case wasn't there about a woman being um, diagnosed by two male doctors and not being treated correctly then it took her for her to go see a female mm. physician that you know actually brought up her pro- problem which obviously that is something that you know is wrong and you know doctors being taught needs to be changed and it is I found that quite interesting actually that you know, most things were taught about a male's body and not a female's body, and that's something that obviously needs to be looked at and addressed, isn't it? Because it's just is it was quite shocking to me, to be honest, that even at a doctor's level, where you go was it seven years at university, wherever it is, that even then they're not being taught about both genders and both bodies. So. Yeah, I find that really interesting. And in that's in the actually, as, even as a female, to know that you know when even when you go like katie said the, the the trials before you get to human trials you go on animal trials the majority of them around the world are, are on male i minds. had no idea and then even when you go to human trials the the challenges are that mostly the timings of when trials take place are at times when men can usually do them you get more male volunteers for trials and actually if females volunteer for trials medical trials for certain drugs the, the, the companies that are organising the trials actually don't even disaggregate the data between men and female, male and females in the trial, but also some of them actually see females offering to be part of the trials as a bit of a burden because the data that you have to gather on women is a lot more kind of there's a lot is, is a lot more lengthy so more in terms of admin, if you like yeah than men because of females you know women have hormone challenges they have a lot different bodies for child rearing. Um, needs and what have you and so you know the the actual default is they would rather have male kind of uh, volunteers coming in for trials and interestingly one of the examples that I wanted to raise was that in 2015 so not that even that long ago at all uh, when the female Viagra was taste, um, tasted, tested, <laughs> <Or> tasted. <laughs> um, <laughs> was tested the female Viagra was tested by 23 men two, and two, two women I, I found that quite interesting as well because isn't that crazy because the one um logic behind that no sorry i don't understand that at all i don't understand why they would take that choice because the only thing i the one thing i was taking from the only thing i was going to take from that because i found i found her quite she was very obviously on the on the, the book is obviously very much on the side of female obviously because that's what it's about but the only thing i would say that i took from that was maybe from the scientist point of view obviously i'm not a scientist but in a scientific experiment you're obviously trying to eliminate as many differences as possible so maybe because hmm. they did they did mention that there are women that come forward for clinical trials but they aren't as there aren't as many as men she said women are available but just not as many as men so maybe if there was more women women could become the norm but the reason they use mostly men was because you're trying to especially if they, cause it did say at phase one they use mostly men phase two and three they use more women but i think it's more to eliminate hmm. differences if you're trying to test something at a very early stage that 
you got to either pick one or the other sort of thing. And if there is more men readily available rather than women. But then you but then you have to look at why are men more readily available? And that goes to the fact that when these tests are being done, is it during the day? Is it, you know, women are primary care um, providers also having to do more jobs around the home, these sorts of things. So can women afford to take two weeks off to go sit in a medical trial when they've got the kids at home? Probably not. Where men, that's easier for them to do. As if to say that it should be the case that homework is um, is is primarily the woman's role but it has historically been viewed as such and it's important to know that that was vocalized i think two two years ago by our former um uh, prime um theresa may she went on the one so uh, the one show on the bbc and she she made the very clear point when she was asked about her husband and his role um, in the house and she called it boys jobs and girls jobs so there is a very sort of ingrained um, societal view. It might not be the case for us, but there is an ingrained view, I think, across many countries about what men's roles and, and um, women's roles are. So I think it may be important to note that the author may have been just listing that as a, as a fact of life, but, but, but not one that she sort of thinks is a good thing at all if that makes sense because i do yeah. think that across many countries we still have a huge hugely long way to go and i also think that that the emancipation of um women has obviously yielded huge benefits but it needs to be viewed in in the context of of our existence in this planet it's an incredibly short window of time that full rights and um and also full equal opportunity Opportunity to um, women. It's a very short window of time, and we're only really, I think, beginning to realise the full implications of that. It's interesting that we're talking about this now. BBC News sites they had an article about about how um, about how um, how fertility rates across the Western world are just continuing to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink, and they put a large part down to that due to the fact that more women are choosing to have smaller um, um, f- 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 families and that's due to affluence of these countries and also to the fact that they want to have a, a um, fulfilling job and, and um, career. So with that progress comes new implications that we're only beginning to really grasp. Dan, um, did they mention anything about stress in that? Because... Um, stress? Yeah, because... What I did um, notice that in the book, they talk about um, UK health and safety executive found that um, women had higher rates of work related stress, anxiety and depression. So women were 53 percent more more stressed than men. And I thought it was an interesting one because so I, the reason I comment there is because fertility and stress is quite like interlinked. Um, and I yeah. found that was an interesting one because I, I guess it's because of the additional care responsibilities and home responsibilities that women have on top of work. But I did wonder if some of it was also because maybe men aren't talking about that as much. So, go on, Ryan. That's what I was about to. That's what I was going to chime in with. Maybe that you know you see a lot with mind charity and everything like that that men aren't going to talk about their feelings as much as females. So you got to say the statistics is face value, but. I do believe that also that might be a point that how many men, especially the health and safety executive probably comes to a lot of building sites, which the trade I'm in. And I don't think men there, there are going to literally stand there and talk about their feelings and say how stressed you are or how 
how I think you are. But I agree with Casey at the point that yes, there is obviously a lot more, you know, stress on a female or a woman as you know with caregiving and stuff like that. But that's that's back to my point. Was again that those roles don't necessarily have to be split the way they are. But yeah, but she talks about doesn't she the fact that. Often you have, for example, people that live on their own and then they have they take on equal amounts of roles of kind of the domestic duties, if you like. And then often what happens is that when if you have a heterosexual couple where a man and a woman then live together, then the woman automatically ends up taking on more responsibilities. Now, I I was about to say I'm quite lucky that with my partner, we're very equal. If not, he probably does a little bit more because I work longer than he does. But actually, that, sh- that shouldn't be lucky. That should just be, this is the way our household works and that's the right thing to do. But I, it, I think of it as lucky and actually that's wrong. So I don't know how you then... I think it's the responsibility on the man to check themselves and be like, actually, I should be doing more. It shouldn't have to come from the woman to ask. No, I think it's... I think it's a point from both, really, though, because I, yeah, I was going to shame my dad, to be honest, because the other day I came home, and my dad was sat on the sofa while my mum was doing the housework. And I actually ran my girlfriend up, and I was actually embarrassed, and I said, I can't believe my dad sat there all day on the sofa whilst my mum was literally spent the whole day doing the housework. And I think that's a generation thing that I found, because mm-hmm. even me as a... I still, I still like, because another point is tradition. Like, I think there is some traditional roles in the thing which we shouldn't lose. Like but, what? Well, just... I, Know, example. I'm not saying women need to cook and clean because that's something that I, I enjoy cooking and I do a lot of cooking. But as a, as a man, cleaning. Like, <laughs> clean, clean, clean. I don't like washing. I don't like doing the washing. That, that's, pers- that's personal preference. But to be I mean, fair, I don't take the bins out, which is very like exactly, man's job. So that's about, yeah, that's I'll admit that. That's, some, that's something that my, girl, my girlfriend might do. Either she won't take the bins out, or I'll take the bins out. Or, um, but no, I think that certain things, I say, even myself, I don't consider myself like a feminist or something that I was still. You know, I found it disgusting that my dad sat there all day. <laughs> I hope he doesn't listen to this. Um, but this is while whilst my mom did the cleaning. But uh, but do you so think that's, that's on your mom to go tap him on the shoulder and be like, get up and help, or is that that should be because that in itself is a tiring act to keep doing, mm, where yeah, exactly. it should and, be on him to look around yeah. and be like, hang on, there's a slight something's a bit off here. Yeah, so, I think that's that's sorry, sorry, Dan. No, no, no. And then I think that it's definitely something that. One, you can look at it from another point of view that well, if a female wants to get in a relationship with a man, that you've got to, if that's something that you want in a partner, then that's something you need to filter out quite early. And I think that, um, you know, we learn it from school that women keep boys in check quite, quite well, to be honest. So mm. I think it's something that, you know, if that's something you desire, then it's something that it's a both. If a, if a woman's not happy with it, then she needs to be vocal about it and made aware that it's an issue. But then a man shouldn't, a female shouldn't have to wait for a man to say, well, hang on, I've, I've got this or I should do it. Especially mm-hmm. if a man's providing for a female, then. Yeah. yeah. I also think that it's, I think in the context of, of a um, relationship, that's why I think that uh, communication is so key. I do completely hear the point of view that essentially if you're in that moment where a woman is having to do all of the housework whilst the man is just sat down, uh, and that act of her having to tell him, hey, do you want to, like, can you please help out, is tiring because essentially it makes the person feel like they're being a nag, particularly if they have to ask more than once. But what I do think is more needed is more of just a set piece um, chat that you have where you lay out what you think good looks like in terms of healthcare. I think that's really important. 
something like in any um, relationship, you need to set the boundaries of what you both can can sort of um, agree with and what you both think is fair. Because unfortunately, again, this is this really builds into Ryan's point about his parents. It was also the same for my parents. They 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 kind of. See, I think they seamlessly eased into very set roles of what they're both meant to do. And having been a child that was raised in that household, that naturally sort of went through into my, into my viewpoint about what a man's role and what a woman's role is. And therefore, whilst I was always happy to help in previous um, relationships, it was actually a bugbear of exes of mine that sometimes I had to ask me. But as soon as they did, I always made sure that I would do my best so that they wouldn't have to ask me again. But I was not um, uh, proactive about it, if I'm being Mm. honest. It was something that it just didn't instinctively occur to me. So essentially, that's something that I just learned. But the only way I learned it is through having a conversation where Mm. we just sort of laid out our stools in a non-sort of accusatory way. I think think we need to accept that because, because we aren't there yet. As a as a society, um, I think the best way, the best thing you can do to bring people on side is just to just talk to them and allow them to talk as well, and not point any sort of um, fingers of blame. And I think that that I, I, I think that has to be applied. So uh, just to quickly come in, I think that's interesting. I think some of this goes back to parenting and what Massively. we're exposed to as children, and. Yeah. Um, and, the, and, and so actually just to like go back to the book a little bit, but because that links in perfectly, they talk about the impact of um, parental leave and how often, you know, women go on maternity leave for longer and what that looks like and the uptake of parental leave. And they, they come up with a stat where it's um, paternity leave has a positive impact. So not only on child's development, because if they're around the man a little bit more and the dad gets to be more involved. There's that side of things and the development, seeing the man doing more domestic duties, that would then, as you guys are saying, you didn't necessarily witness that growing up. That would kind of be embedded in your consciousness already. Um, But it also has an impact on women's employment. So women actually get get paid more. So I think there was a stat where... um, a study in Sweden, because Sweden's like the pinnacle for all of this, they've done really well. A 2010 study found that mother's future earnings increase by an average of 7% for every month of leave taken by the father. Um, and in Sweden, they have near 80% female employment as of 2016 um, and have one of the highest levels of paternity leave uptake in the world, with nine out of 10 fathers taking an average of three to four months leave. But the reason they can afford to do that is because um, they have better kind of wages are sustained throughout that paternity and maternity leave where in the uk we don't have very good levels of maternity pay for like x duration of time you're on maternity um yeah i think i was, I was glad we got on that point as well because that's something that um i picked up on the book and it was saying that and i agree with especially with the uk about what we have but then it's kind of well who's going to pick up the brunt of paying for that and i know because there's two ways of looking at it i suppose it's well, maternity leave and paternity leave is good for if, if we're looking at it from a male versus, versus female point of view. It doesn't have to be that, obviously, because when you have a baby, it's a couple's decision. But I think that maternity leave, even if it was full pay, could still, uh, what's the word I'm looking, benefit a male because if a female is off, the man can still go to work and still further his career. So I don't think it's necessarily 
the time, you know, the, the loss of wages, but more the time out of the business. Look at it from a business point of view that kind of hinders the female rather than the male um, in that situation. But um, then, if you guys start taking more pat leave, that improves our job and, perspectives. And I, know, career I, I, I agree, and I, and I do agree with that. And you know, it's, I'm not, you know, I've not been a parent yet, but looking at it from that point of view, that. I agree with that, but then you've got to go back to tradition. Is not all females will want to take nine months or will want to take six months, and for the father to have time off, they would prefer to have the nine months off. And the man, the hunter, and the gatherer kind of thing again. She wants to stay at home and look after her baby. While- and we are just going to have to apologise. Sorry, <laughs> there was a technical glitch. We had a technical problem. Uh, apologies for that. We're going to try and wrap it back up. Sorry. <laughs> And I was interested to like ask if anyone had any thoughts around like making paternity and maternity leave. So for the for the men, making it a little bit longer than it currently yeah. is in the UK. So physically, actually, like changing the laws, or you know, you know, making it a little bit more equal in terms of once yeah. once a woman's had a baby and a man then takes his leave as well, he can then share the burden of kind of looking after the well, not the burden, <laughs> share the tasks. <laughs> Think, okay, so the house stuff, everything that you would normally do is like a chore. Yeah. You have you have, you then have a baby as well, so it's something that the men can help with more, maybe if they had more time. And I agree. I, I think if you, if you could split it equally, I think there was I can't remember the country that they gave the example for, but yeah. I think they said that there was a man had to take so long, otherwise they lost that allowance. So I think that's a better way of looking at it. Because like, that's Sweden think, again. Sweden. Yeah, was it Sweden? I think because yeah. it's it's a it's a there's a line, isn't it? And I think that with feminism or there's a saying I think you can't have equality without suppressing someone or something um, so I think that if you say men must have this long, so long off or men must do this that the women that don't want to do that will kind of feel like well hang on a sec I don't want to do that so I think if you had something like you know men like I think in Sweden where if you don't if you get this extra amount of time or extra bit of money that, but if a man doesn't use it then you lose it so what they were saying is in Japan um, men often end up don't taking the leave because they would have to do the second half when it's such a, a lower wage mm. that you would get because they're the biggest, um, what's what I'm looking for, contributor financially to the household. Yeah. Actually too much financial hit. And I think what was really interesting about that, because I'm a geek, I then went and did a bit of like research and Japan actually has one of the worst in the industrialised world's um, ratio of men in their kind of house of representatives, so like their parliament, sorry, of women in their parliament. So the legislation is all being made by men. So these unintended consequences for women are not necessarily being thought about. So it was out of uh, what? So they got ranked 165 out of 193 countries and only 10.2 percent of their House of Representatives is female. And just to add to that, the book actually in the medical sense, the, the book actually detailed the fact that on when drugs go through the trials, they're accepted. There's a board that pharma- a lot of um, pharmaceuticals have. The majority of people on those boards that sign off on the, the finalised drug and, and whether it's suitable or not for the, the, the issue or the disease it's trying to fix, the majority are made up of men. So men are actually making the decisions, not just politically, but socially, medically for women. And that, I think that kind of encompasses the whole book, actually, and the fact that women yeah. aren't even being asked. And I think, I think my... There's a lot of you can look at the whole broad spectrum. And I think, that especially with the um, pharmaceutical company, I think it's, it is mainly probably is down to mostly because it's male dominated. But I think it's also, unfortunately, the world we live in, it's all a lot of it's money driven. So I think that 
I found that when they were talking about the drugs, I think they were saying that some drugs actually worked better on females that would would have worked for females, but not for males. Now it didn't actually stipulate whether that was because so they, they just eradicated it because they didn't work on men or because it worked on females and not males, but because it didn't work on both. But often that... those defaults only the ones they go with actually only work for men. And then, so this, so this is actually the bit, sorry to jump in. This is the bit that actually really upset me in the book because, so I found like the whole health bit a bit overwhelming. And sometimes it just felt like it was like stat after stat after stat. Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, I actually, this is actually too much. And I'm not, I'm not even like processing anymore. But the yeah. bit that really got me was the bit when she talks about the heart attack studies and mm-hmm. also having um, a, a bypass, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like having pacemakers fitted yeah. for your heart mm-hmm. and how essentially they are, they, they run too fast for women, um, a 20 milliseconds averagely too high for women um, and how this often like leads to more uh, high levels of heart failure. And it really got me because my nan actually had um, a pacemaker and she died at the age of like 71. And apparently now they're only looking at making these things at a slower rate for women um, or in smaller sizes. And I just think, mm-hmm. well, actually, did she die prematurely because you gave, gave her something that was designed for a man? I think there's a, there's a flip side to everything, isn't there? It was like, it was like um, about the, the artificial heart that's being made, that they only made it for a male first. But you had to pick one or the other. Now, I'm not saying that... But why? No, I'm guessing because they, they focused on making one first rather than both, which is, again, I think a lot of this is money-driven, isn't it? Which you could look at, okay, well, they made the female one first, that male could jump up and say, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying, I'm just playing devil's advocate that if you're making one first, who's going who's gonna, to who's gonna win? And this probably is because it's a male-dominated and male, men are making the choice. Now, I think my viewpoint on a lot of all this stuff is it comes, it all stems back from when we're very, from kids and that, you know, women go into certain roles. I don't know that you brought up Sweden. I think it was there's a study done on the whole of Scandinavia because I know that Scandinavia did brought down, they brought in laws for gender pay and gender equality. And although it did start to decline, it actually stalled at around 15%, which isn't for gender pay gap, sorry, um, between male and female, because men and women naturally fall in, even when they're left to their own devices, they naturally go to those roles. And I think that comes from us being kids and yes, dolls and tools, but, you know, as growing up, we don't see, I don't know how about yourselves, but I didn't see any male primary school teachers or it wasn't mm. until we got to, to secondary school that you start seeing a few more male teachers, but it's very female dominated. And then you look at nurses, they're very female dominated roles, which unfortunately are lower paid roles compared to male but what jobs they, in construction but, and stuff like that. So, But what the book also found was that um, where you have an industry that suddenly becomes, or not even suddenly, but over a period of time, yeah. becomes more female dominated, then it shows that the wage decreases. So is it actually that women are going into lower paid roles traditionally, or is it that yeah. when women go into those roles, we then lower the wage? Uh, yeah, at that point I couldn't argue about, but that's, yeah. And I think, but then it's down to, you've got to look at like, a bit like the Black Lives Matter movement, that women need to put themselves in a position, and women have the power at the end of the day, that if they start, empowering themselves and getting themselves into position. You know, there was, there was a com- I was listening to a conversation because I knew we were doing this recording that, you know, there's no company out there that employs, I know you can't say purely women because that would probably be sexist and not allowed, but dominates for women or creates better roles for like maternity leave, find a company that's run by women that will offer better benefits to women so they attract more women. And if a company like that happened and they probably would thrive more than a male-dominated business, but... I think there was a study done that I think out of the FTSE 100, only seven of those 
companies are actually run by females now. Mm. That's harder because it's it's a you know it's a harder job to get into. But it's not just that you got to look at the types of people that want to do those kind of jobs, and it's a very limited pool of people that would actually want to run a FTSE 100 company. So, but then there's not the um, if you like the policies in place to allow that. So, for example, with um, MPs in the UK, they don't get maternity leave. No. So how that. are we encouraging women to come into mm-hmm. policy making roles with legislators where we can actually then put things in place to help women thrive? You know, because they will look at a piece of legislation going through the House of Commons with a slightly different lens and think about these things perhaps more than uh, a male counterpart would if we're actually not allowing them to get into the position in the first place. Um, so I was just quite keen to sort of jump in on that particular just to um just to come in on the point that you made about there being no um mat leave for for um for female MPs. I think that that's a disgrace. Ultimately um be, being an MP is an incredibly highly stressed and fast paced job and if you're expected to continue being an MP just after childbirth, I think that's just insane. Um I think that needs to change. I can understand that there might be a practical implication of who takes a role, who stands in, whilst the representative of a particular part of the country has had to leave because she's had a child, but can't be beyond uh, people's wit to solve for the shortened period of time that Matt Lee but to But to answer your point about how, 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 how can we attract women to become MPs and therefore to try to sort of climb up the um, the uh, um, political um, ladder. I would argue that I'm pretty sure I don't have the stats to hand, but I'm pretty sure that, that the number of, um, of, uh, of, of the female MPs in Parliament that sit today is at its highest amount. Yeah, I would have thought yeah, that. I, mean, I mean, particularly if you were to compare it to, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 years ago. So I do think that there must be I do. I mean, look, I'm very cautious about lauding progress, about really sort of trying to emphasize about how far we've come. Because some used as a uh, as a comfort blanket to give ourselves a pat on the back, you know, as if the job's done. But I do think it is important to be mindful of the fact that we're not. I don't. I do think that the that the arc of progress is is heading in the right way, and I do think that particularly if. Politics, I do think, you know, the standing of women in that field, I mean, particularly here in the um, UK has never been higher. And I, and I don't see that going backwards. I think one of the major threats of that sort of progress abuse that female MPs face compared to men, there's been a lot of work done on that particular front, in particular in the context of social media, female MPs seem to attract a lot more abuse than their male counterparts. But that's a side point. Um, I just, I do think that we're making progress on it. Yeah. But that's my so, view. So just quickly, I... just for the stat on that, we actually have, because I looked at this earlier, we have 220 yeah. female MPs at the moment out of 650, yeah. which is the highest we've ever had. But in the 2011 consensus, female identifying people made up 51% of the population. So it's not I agree. I agree with Dan. I think sure. that if you look at you know, how long Parliament, I don't know the dates of how long Parliament's been running, but I think this is the same with a lot of you know issues that we have in our society at the minute. That I think if you think how long these issues have been, but then 
when we kind of hit a hit a point and we've curved off. I think that yes, not to pass ourselves on the back and say that oh, we're there, but I think that if you imagine how long, how quickly I think in a short, not quickly, but in a shorter period of time, things have come along that if you gave it the same sort of amount of time that it took to overcorrect those things, then we are on the right path. And I think conversations like this and making things aware is the right way of going about it. Obviously, much we can do things to get it quicker, but I don't think things happen, change doesn't happen overnight, does it? So that's something. No. A point I wanted to raise as well was kind of, for Katie and uh, Tanisha, was kind of, I mean, I don't know you, Tanisha, I don't think you've got kids, um, but no. what what's if you're going to have kids, what's your main worry about having kids or in the workplace and stuff like that? Do you think, think it will hinder? Do you think it will hinder yourselves or something like that? That's what. Yeah, I think that so, so like similar discussions what we've had already actually from a generational yeah. point of view. I, I you know I've heard my mum used to speak about all these stories. She's so I've just me and my sister, and every time she had like my sister and then she had me when she went back to work she was treated differently than before. She was found to well not found she was determined as being more emotional, more highly strung, more kind mm. of temperamental in her demeanor. She had to leave an hour early to come get us from our childcare or what have you. Um, and my mom is a very career driven woman, like from day dot, she is very much for her career first, which is what I've grown up with. And I like admire that. I would worry that actually not enough progress has been made. And I've seen even in the office that I've been in and in previous jobs where women have been treated differently, um since I've had a baby so I would actually be in my head I think I'm safer actually putting off childbirth for as long as I possibly can and try and do have my career get as far as I can in my career then have children yeah I was just very keen to come back on on um Tanisha's point because the point that you made is is just borne out in the data and the stats about how child birth rates if not a sorry I mean although they are clearly falling across the um, 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 Western world. It's also the age at which more and more um, women are choosing to have children. It's just that same consistent picture across the piece where they're putting their careers, um, I wouldn't say putting their, their, um, sorry, I wouldn't say putting their um, careers first, but trying to sort of play a balancing act where they're having to sort of make that choice between when's a good time to have a child and to, to what extent could that choice hamper my career choice at relatively close time because my sister um has had a child so i have a niece she's two and there was a point i was going to make around the sort of broad aspect of um of uh mat leave in that i've seen the effect that a shortened period of mat leave can have on i can have on the child and i've noticed that I've just noticed very clearly that that during this lockdown period, it's now been a period of over four months or five months or so. Um, my niece's well-being of having her parents around, her her um, her vocabularies improved hugely, like mm. like clearly, it's really improved. You've really seen it over this lockdown period, and I do think that the mat leave that my sister was afforded was not long enough in my opinion for the to the benefit of her kid and i also think that so 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 you know it's kind it's kind of a big point to just drop in there but that's just an impression i gained through looking at my sister and how she had to balance out 
her child and her job and she's a lawyer so it's a very sort of high high paced job mm. um, and having to balance those two things particularly during lockdown um, it's been mm. incredibly tough for her but to come back to to um Tanisha's point I just think that it's a consistent and clear picture that we are only going to see continue um particularly as I know that there's a clear point that we haven't made enough progress but I think that as that progress continues more women will feel a will feel more freedom to to um postpone having children implications on the amount of children that they have and therefore the extent to which our population grows and from that you'll start seeing these knock-on effects in terms of how we pay for the NHS, how we pay for mm. social care. Because yeah. if you have a shrinking young population, how are we going to pay for the mm. pensions of, of um, the elderly? So my broader point is at some point, politics will have to catch up with these issues because they are going to hit us very hard if we don't. So mm. that's why I'm kind of optimistic about that with these issues that we've talked about will come to the fore, not out of any sort of good moral choice, but just out of the hard reality of of of, of um, the public um, of finances. Mm. I think that will happen. Yeah. The, the issue, oh, on, okay. the, is, the issue we've got though. So overall, I want to be kind of agreeing with that and being like, yeah, it's going to get better. But the problem we've got is we're seeing that things aren't necessarily getting better. And we're going into a period at the moment where you have lots of legislation that is being made to protect people who have only benefited. So we're not necessarily helping disadvantaged groups as much as we should. Um, mm. Obviously, the UK has now left the EU and economically we will leave at the end of the year. Um, and in a 2017 analysis, the book actually says that the UK was ranked 22nd out of 24 European countries on the length of decently paid maternity leave. And then the key point there was when they've tried to um, increase maternity leave, so how much should be guaranteed through the, the directive that they have, mm. it was the UK that actually voted against it consistently. He who came out and said that the pregnant workers directive was in his list of barriers to actually employing people and one which the UK could scrap once it left the EU. And actually, when the EU had traditionally tried to extend the amount of um, maternity leave in the directive, the UK was one of the leading bodies or countries to actually vote against that. What's the solution anyway? Say maternity leave and paternity leave was the same because I feel that who one who's there's a cost point of view. So who's paying for it? Is, the, is it down to a business to say, well, businesses need to have something in place and they should bear the brunt of the cost? Um or should government step in more? Maybe they should front it. Maybe like a pension thing where it's split equally between the three. Um, and I want to say that obviously men are kind of stupid if it is men that are making these decisions because having a kid is a two-way street. So that you know, if if your wife's at home looking after your child and you're getting more money, then it's it's kind of a win-win for everyone, isn't it? So I think that um, there's then points I would like to raise, but I think also that women are at a disadvantage men we as men we can't birth child unfortunately but so we can't sad. do that so we unfortunately i hate to put on all that weight but it's kind of the you know the points that you two make about your jobs that a woman does have to i think it was a, i was listening to someone talk on the issue before and i was saying that a woman has to have a life in place before she's the age of 35 so that's women that's family with kids and 
job and that's career. And unfortunately, that's something that man can't take off a woman. Um, and I think that even if a man was to have nine months off work, say, that even he would be hindered. And unfortunately, that, that's something that we need to look at. And it's kind of, well, who picks up the cost of, of that? So that's just something that I'd but like do you, to But do you think if it was equal... Sorry, just just really quickly. If you think yeah, it was yeah. equal, would that then not necessarily? Because there's a stigma, yeah. right, around the fact that it's it's yeah, extra for a guy to be off for that amount of time, whereas for women they just have to deal with it. Like, no, if it was yeah. equal, surely then that would, or or if it was more equal, it doesn't have to be like nine months. But that what they do in Sweden, for example, and you take it or you yeah. leave it or whatever. It, I can't remember the phrase, but yeah. that would surely help some way in terms of alleviating oh. that. Yeah, and arg- arguably be more beneficial for business because you're splitting it between the two. Occasion, like sometimes people work in the same company but often work for different organizations so actually that individual organization is only having somebody not there for a shorter period of time so arguably that's more beneficial for their productivity i agree i think but from a from a business point of view it's kind of and this is where it does kind of because then you've got to look at it from point of view of a woman that chooses to have a child and a woman that chooses not to have a child and you differentiate between the two of who's who's benefiting who and as an employer unfortunately even i think even if it was a female run business, if you're solely business minded, like most people are who run these top tier companies that unfortunately employees aren't just a number and it's, you're looking at facts and figures that if you're choosing somebody who's not going to have a child, even that was a woman doesn't choose not to have a child, that as a fact, you, if you're not going to pay someone for nine months leave, then you're going to select that option anyway. So I think that that's where government needs to step up and do a bit more for their part, because there was, a, there was a, we can take it away from work for a, for a second there was a university in the in the book wasn't there that said that um male and females could have an extra females could have an extra sorry fem, males and females could have an extra year to make tenure um and they found that well this actually had, had advantage to a man because a man didn't have to spend nine months breastfeeding or anything like that but then you can look at it from the point of view well if a female chose not to have a baby then they're they're just more advantage than the female that chooses not to have a child so i think when you're talking about gender and equality and inequalities you can choose well if a female chooses not to have a child she's more advantaged than a woman that chooses not to have a child so but that shouldn't that be the of, case no it shouldn't be the case but that's what i'm saying that then the book i've spoken about is a male issue that will ever you're talking about it from that university point of view that a, a male was more likely to succeed in that situation because he had an extra year well so did the females that chose not to have a child mm. so I think we've got but she still wouldn't su- but that female that didn't have the child still wouldn't succeed to the same level as the male statistically no, she wouldn't not... get paid as much as him no this wasn't talking about pay but this was talk tenure and i think when you talk about pay if you want to talk about that issue i think that a male and a female in the same role there should be no you know there should be no differences in pay that's something that you know should be eradicated and something that is but fundamentally it stems to and i've got this from my own experience with my sisters that women are more agreeable than men for most instance and okay you won't agree with that but um, females are more agreeable <laughs> females most females are more agreeable than men so a lot of females won't go into a, their workplace and ask for a pay rise and i've mm. had this argue with my sister my sister was um, asked to do take on more in a role and i said to her you need to go and ask for a pay rise and she she felt uncomfortable to do so and i feel like i'm an employer of seven men and they have they have no qualms about coming to me and asking me for more money so i think that's something that i know i kind of sidetracked a lot of points there but that's just something else that we but the issue no. the issue that i take with that or not not that i completely yeah. get your points the issue that i have is that 
yes, women need to feel they need to work in an environment where they feel they can ask for a pay yeah. rise. That's a whole different issue. That's like workspace, yeah. mental health, and well-being. But the the challenge I have is that, as with all these things, is that it shouldn't just be up to women to feel more comfortable yeah. asking for a pay rise or t- or calling men out or what have you. It should be up to men as well to recognise that they should also be creating those environments and they should also be asking if their male colleagues want to have more time off it's just you know all these stigmas that are around it shouldn't just be up up to women to call it out and no i think you know riot for change or like you know go out and get change it should be up to men to recognize the issues as well and do their bit where it's possible to do that i agree with that i think but then i don't think it's necessarily just a gender issue i think that's just if if an employee can get away with paying anybody yeah 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 they're gonna they're gonna do it but it's just the fact that men will step forward more and ask for that pay rise. Like if I could get away with not giving my lads a pay rise, then I'll sit there. And, <laughs> I'll sit there. I'll sit there and stay quiet, quiet for a little bit. But I might have money there to give them a pay rise. But if, until somebody steps up and asks for them, whether they're male or female, businesses tend to going to stay quiet and not not give that pay rise. So I mm. think that yes, I don't think men look at it as a gender issue. Um, I think that more females in that instance, females should step forward more and be more confrontational. And you think that you want to work for something then just you know stick your elbows out and go and get it and i think but often when a woman does that often when a woman does that she's seen a bit like what tanisha was saying with her mom earlier she's seen in different light and the characteristics aren't respected in the same way that those displayed by a man are And i think that comes back again to the whole almost like parenting and how we educate our children back to schooling the fact that women through society are conditioned to act a certain way. And when they step out of that norm, it's problematic, even though we're saying now that if they did that, it could help them, which is why they right. don't, which is why no. they don't do it. Oh, I agree with that point. And that's, and I think this is where I think a lot of this always stems back from our roles in our natural habitat and kind of from children that, you know, women are one thing and men are the other. And I think there's, it, it's a kind of gray area, isn't it, of what we need to teach our kids and how we change the issue that, you know, it's okay for a woman to be successful and a woman to be this and career driven and stuff. And I think that, you know, and for a man to not be X, Y, and Z, I think, I think it's, it's a very gray area and it's hard to what, what we do to our children to try and change that and how we enforce women into these higher positions and these better roles and educate men as well, obviously to, to recognize that and, and change it. But. And this is the thing, if we actually encourage women to take part fully or not encourage, if we enable, that's the word, if we allow women to take part in um, employment fully, you will actually benefit the economy. You'll have more disposable income, more spend, more tax. Like, this is actually only beneficial. And this is where I got so frustrated in the book when it raised the point about UK auto-enrollment on pensions, Mm -hmm. um, which I know you mentioned kind of the pension thing and and maybe with some of this maternity and maternity leave, the contribution from the government needing to be higher to help business. And I do think there was an element of that for sure. But with the auto-enrollment, what it found was that, um, so to get a pension uh, for your employer to work towards that, you have to earn at least £10,000. But it can only come from one source. So it doesn't take into account that actually a lot of women have various jobs to give them more flexibility to look after children to do domestic duties to do the caring responsibility with elderly relatives so actually what you've got is 32 percent of women or 2.7 million employed women will not earn enough in theory to benefit from auto enrollment from the pension schemes compared to only 14 percent of men but women also live longer so actually when we've got pension poverty 
and we are around for longer, we're going to have to rely on the state more. So uh, that, that, only, that just economically makes no sense. No, the only issue, the only, not an issue, but the only thing that I found quite interesting about that was that she was separating men and women that who they die alone sort of thing. Because it comes back to money, I think that, you know, when you're in a relationship that, well, it's our money, not his and hers money. So I don't know how it differentiated between the two. Because that's the point. I, I did find it really interesting that, well, women's pensions are X, Y, and Z, and men, you know, women's contributions are a lot less. But I think that if you're talking as a household, that's where it kind of changes because my money But that's is assuming your... people have life partners or are married in some yes, description, exactly. which exactly. isn't necessarily but, the case. But I don't think that, I'm saying that, I don't think the woman in the book took that into consideration. I think that you separated the two completely in saying that, that's that's the way it is. But, but then again, obviously, it's a case of what well, if we let if we empower these women, it will have benefit men at the same time. So that's where I said it all comes down to, you know, we all help each other and we all we all benefit, sort of thing. I mean, I think that Ryan's point is correct, but I ultimately think that when it comes to debates around um, equality, particularly around ones that you can just see that there'll be that there would be an inherent sort of implementing these um these ideas from a purely um treasury point of view i just think it comes back to ryan's point about if you want you know any form of campaign on this to work you have to have a very clear idea of who's going to pay for it and who's going to pay for the short uh, at least the short-term shortfall that's that's that um some of these ideas would produce and i just think that this kind of adds to your point, Katie, about fear, about if we are making any pro- progress or whether that progress is going to go backwards. I think the highest moment of risk comes now as we emerge out of the coronavirus crisis. Mm. And, you know, we have a, um, a uh, deficit that we're going to get for, for this year alone of 300 odd billion pounds. And I think soon as the reality of that, I, I mean, it's a real shame to say, but, but money talks. And ultimately, most of the government's bandwidth and sort of thought process is going to how to get people back into work. And that's people, not particular, uh, yeah. particular groups of people. This is just mm-hmm. people because we're going to have unemployment at a, at a, I mean, it's a real shame, but it, it, it will be at a level not seen for decades. And from the government's point of view, they know that if you um, sustain those levels of unemployment, the economy will continue to contract and then that leads to a whole other issue so mm. i'm not sure that the um i don't think that the so i think that if that if that if you were to identify a moment of risk for these causes it, it really is now because i just think i just think that the entire attention of everyone won't be on these issues it will be on how can we get growth back and how people people as a whole back into work so i just think i think it's crucial to outline where the money will come from if you want these ideas to if like i just think it's crucial because ultimately Mm -hmm. i think all of us can agree that all of these points appear to be pretty obvious in terms of where the gaps are and what's wrong in the context of where we currently are but if you want those changes to be made it has to come with a, I, I know it's a really sort of cliche term to use, but a fully costed plan of how it can be implemented. We have to be in a position where policymakers are conscious of these things. So again, you have to look at in unintended consequences across lots of different disadvantaged groups when we're making policy. 
I'm, you know, I'd like to think that with the auto enrolment policy, when that came out, the government at the time didn't think, oh, we, this is going to dampen women. I think it just wasn't thought about the fact that that 10,000 threshold with it not being able to come from different sources, you know, I don't think anyone thought that would disadvantage women and it has. So I think yeah. as policy people, we need to be really on it and almost have a checklist. You know, I've said it before to you, Tanisha, but does this impact the environment in a bad way and will it exasperate climate change? Is this going to have an issue across social disadvantaged groups? Um, is this going to create equality? Like you just have to go through a checklist of things to make sure that when you're developing policy, they're in consideration of potential adverse consequences. So I was just um, very keen as to, well as the costing. Sorry, I was keen to just jump in on that point because I used to work um, in the um, in um, City Hall and any time that any sort mm. of policy was proposed they would used to have to complete a form now i know this can be deemed as a um as a um tick box form in of itself but it was called the equalities impact to set for any sort of mm-hmm. policy that that you wanted to implement you you had to at least demonstrate that you could thought about the potential um, um, about the potential implications of the policy that you were proposing on gender groups and um, I'm just trying to think. Like ethnicity? Ethnicity, gender. It was quite a broad range of groups. But, but, but they did have yeah. that. So I, I think it would be useful to know the extent to which that happens now. But obviously, I don't think that that... So I don't think that that takes away from your point that essentially if you had more women mm. who were in those roles then it would just be at the forefront of their minds and you and you would avoid uh, um, potential mishaps because I don't think that those, I don't think um, that those impact assessment forms are a silver. They're also kind of blunt, to, yeah. they, they could be a blunt instrument. People could use and them they as, as exactly as you they said, they're are. just a tick. At the moment, they might just be a tick box exercise. Yeah. Um, whereas actually we need something that's a bit more dynamic and a bit more embedded. Mm. Maybe that's something that the the in the UK we can do. We could try and consider. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. And like you said about, mm. like you said about the people not making points. I think everyone's us as humans are kind of quite selfish, and we don't think automatically about other people. So I don't think men necessarily mean to make a statement and think forget about women. It's just that you don't always think about another person, or you don't think about those circumstances of when you're making issues. Here, so. Yep. It's true. I'm going to include that point. I agree with that. That's going to be our <laughs> outro. <laughs> yeah. Mark drop. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Great. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. That was really Appreciate good. Appreciate it. Love See you later. Bye, Ryan. Bye. Bye. So thank you very much to Ryan and Dan for joining us today. We, I think we had a really, really good necessary intense but good conversation yeah <laughs> i think we found out i mean i found out quite a lot from the just like the male response to lots of stuff it's very different yeah to it was what re- I thought when i was reading the book for sure yeah it was really interesting having the boys so thank you very much we really appreciate it and especially i just want to say it was also sorry to ryan because i really threw it on him quite last minute but you know <laughs> thank you if you have any thoughts or comments on the book if you've read it definitely drop us in the comments and we'll We'll talk about it on a on a future episode. So definitely let us know your thoughts. Um, Ryan ended on a really good point there around kind of his key takeaways from the discussion. And Katie, what was your key takeaway from from what we'd heard from the boys? 
Yeah, so it was really great that Ryan actually said that he'd taken something away from it because that's how we make progress. So it's good to see that the boys have learned just as much as we did. Um, but I think the number one thing I've taken, and this is the whole point of the book, this is why uh, Caroline has read, uh, written the book, sorry, is we need to collect data and see where the holes are. And then that's how we make progress. And I think when we're also collecting data, we need to go beyond things like the male, female. It's very binary. Um, gender isn't binary, uh, nor are a lot of issues the way people are affected by issues. It's very, you know, you have to look at the intersectionality of these things. So we need to collect gen- uh, Sorry, we need to collect data across the spectrum. Yeah. I think that's the number one thing that I've taken from this. That was something that really kind of resonated with me is that we're not just another number on a sheet of paper that you have to tick box. We're, you know, see us as you see men. And treat us as you as you as you treat men. I think that's something that is kind of poignant for me. So, if you are going to do one thing this week, do us a favor and read the book. <laughs> read Invisible Women and look at kind of the things that are exposed. Learn from it and actually think about it consciously when you are operating in your own lives. So that's it for another episode of Do Us a Favour. Thank you for joining us on this journey that we're going through with the podcast and our, <laughs> our change of format this week, which we really enjoyed. I hope you have too. We're wild. <laughs> yeah, this is the peak of our wildness right now. <laughs> um, thank you again to, the, to, to our contributors. It's been really great to have um, everyone's thoughts and um, opinions kind of brought to the fore so that's been really good for us this week um join us for our next episode which will be episode four which we're really looking forward to it's going to be a really interesting conversation once again um we have our friend and colleague amy brooker who's joining us to talk about an issue that's very very close to a lot of people's hearts that we know um it's something that amy has been researching as part of her dissertation but she's she's been kind of keeping close to for a really long time and the issue of financial abuse so join us then and we're looking forward to it thank you bye, bye.